Welcome to the Strongcast. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams. What are you reading today? Uh, is it meditations? Are you reading about the environment? Are you reading Socrates or Plato? You may be reading Maya Angelou. I think reading is very important. I think reading impact ideas. Some of you may just think reading the Hill newspaper, uh, reading some pamphlet from the Heritage Foundation is reading or going on the internet, reading about the Kardashians. But whatever you're reading, whatever you're reading, believe it or not, is having an impact on your ideas, the way you think, the way you look at yourself, and the way you look at the world. How does a story actually get in the newspaper? How does it get online? What does it take to get that finished product as Kelly Cobar from the Heritage Foundation and when she's with the Independence Women's Forum, when she's putting that story together, what does it take for that story to actually get in those newspapers? What does it actually take? How much force does she actually have? And when you're reading Jonathan Hill, not Jonathan Hill, he wishes he was on the Hill, but he is on the Hill. <laughs> Jonathan Easley, the big Easley, the Hill newspapers, one of their star reporters. What does it take? And sometimes, you know, I talk to Jonathan, I, sometimes I understand his frustration. How much freedom do you actually have to impact the final product. Now, Misha, across, it's a little different for you because you're a commentator. You do your stuff live. So you have total freedom when you do it live. You know, I was having a conversation, um, Kelsey, um, with John Long, uh, who's an entrepreneur, a mathematician, professor in himself. And talk, give it in context of how we were talking about how these ideas are formed. Oh, I mean, I mean, in particular, I'm very interested in the history of ideas, where they come from, both in terms of their past, such ideas as discovery, innovation. When we say entrepreneurship, what is that? When do people start thinking in those terms? And then also in the present moment, when we live in a certain context of ideas, political, philosophical, religious, what influences those and how do they move on into the future? So, so it, 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 based on what he just said, how do we know what's the left and what's the right, and what's conservative, and what's liberal when we read it. Who told us all this, Amisha? Um, generally tradition, family, culture. Um, people lean on and have a tendency to appreciate the writings that actually represent their own views and their viewpoints and what they've heard. So is this based on feelings? A lot of it is. is are feelings enough, Kelsey? I certainly think feelings influence it, but uh, I like Ben Shapiro's tagline, uh, big conservative, facts don't care about your feelings at the end of the day. Um, you, we all are shaped by our own personal experiences, but in order to be advocating for something on behalf of not just yourself, but for others, you have to have facts to back that up of why that policy solution is going to be good for the greater uh, audience. So Jonathan, take us through how your story gets from an idea to the reader. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a lot of uh, batting around story ideas with your editors and, and coming up uh, with, with an angle of coverage. But I mean, just to what you guys are talking about, it's a confusing time right now. I mean, the president is criticizing mainstream media outlets for being biased against him. You've got just these segmented markets, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, what's, what's mainstream, what's liberal, what's conservative. You've got mainstream reporters expressing political opinions on social media, on Twitter, and Facebook. So, I mean, it's a, it's a confusing time, and we're, we're all trying to sort of work through that. Uh, and this, uh, uh, but as far as coming up with story ideas, it's, it's what are people talking about? What are lawmakers talking about? What's the president talking about? And usually trying to peg something to that, because, I mean, it's such a peculiar era with this 
former reality TV show star in the White House. Seems like all the rules of politics have been, he's broken right through them. And it's, it's tough. It's tough to, uh, to come up with angles, I think, that are fair and, uh, and that, and that uh, appeal to both sides. You know, um, Sinclair Broadcast Group just hired Lara Logan, award-winning journalist. Remember her story when she was beaten? We saw that footage on television. She was a 60 Minutes correspondent. And I was reading something where she said she's so frustrated and embarrassed about what journalism and what journalists are today. They have no, they have no care about the truth. They care about their ideas. They care about um, influencing people, whether it's on the left, or on the right. And then Ted Koppel, someone that we've always respected from ABC Nightline, also echoed the same sentiments. Uh, does that speak for most of journalism, or do you just think that they're just a rogue few that embraces the kind of things that she finds to be very resentful now in her profession we call journalism? I, I think it speaks to all of journalism right now, and I think that's why you've seen more of these smaller news outlets, particularly on the conservative side, uh, come about in the past uh, decade. Daily Signal at the Heritage Foundation is one example. We felt that uh, the mainstream media was not serving our audience. It was not representing our perspective, and so there was a need for us to be out there and sharing our message on our own accord instead of allowing the mainstream media to twist it. I certainly think since President Trump has uh, come into office, this problem has been exacerbated. Uh, I, I think there, it is possible to um, return to a sense of normalcy if a lot of these TV programs were better about uh, separating their news division from their uh, commentary. Uh, I'm someone who is open about my bias. I am a conservative, and if I go on TV, that is very clear. I don't pretend to be representing down the middle every, um, you know, everyday Americans. I'm, I'm representing the conservative perspective. I think it's sadly very rare when you do have journalists these days who um, are able to really come at a story without a political bias. Um, but I guess I'd, I'd, I'd say I'm hopeful that uh, at some point we will return and, and be able to uh, better separate news and commentary. Let me tell you uh, a dilemma, and I'm going to have John address this before we have our professionals chime in. You know, when Bush was in the White House, you know, I got caught up in this serious controversy, No Child Left Behind, and it literally almost left me behind literally almost destroyed my career. And you know, something I've never mentioned, I've never thought about before until in just in this moment, is that when you have a relationship with the President of the United States and a cabinet secretary, you want that access. You want to be able to call them and they answer your call or point their staff to talk to you. That's very important for you, breaking stories and get insight. But what you don't realize sometimes is that comes with a price. Anytime, I mean, just like Sean Hannity, for example. Sean Hannity, a friend of mine who's constantly having access to the president, he would not have that access if the president did not feel he was doing his bidding. And whether people want to admit or not, that is a glaring issue. Now, not just Nancy Pelosi going on Joy Reid's program um, to do a town hall, only because they feel comfortable in doing so, because not only do they go on this show, Obviously, there's something that's happened along the way. They've got a lot of information. They have, they, have, they have a lot of sources, and they get a lot of access. We pay a price for that. How do you balance that out where you can maintain your integrity and also have that access and not do a disservice to the people that read or watch you, and watch you on TV? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. I don't know. I mean, we've seen, you know, I think the hope was with the internet, you have access to infinite information and everyone would seek out the truth, but we're seeing everyone seek out their own little uh, intellectual bubbles instead. And I mean, that's sort of the, the bargain you get into when you're, when you're a journalist is you rely on sources for information and to get that information out of them, they have to trust you that you're going to do, do right by them in, in a way. So I mean, it's a, it's a conundrum and I think we've seen it uh, uh, really exacerbated in this age of uh, just like constant commentary on, on social media. Yeah, I mean, having the president champion Janine Ferrero coming back on the airways after Fox asked her was extraordinary to me, Amisha. And then criticizing another journalist on Fox for criticizing him. I just thought he has no shame about it. At least you know he has no shame about his agenda. But should we buy into that? We definitely shouldn't. I think that, um, and, and it was spoken earlier, we really need to work harder at making the distinct difference between commentary and journalism news. Um, and I say that because the majority of Americans, and there are several polls about this, they recognize commentators a lot more than they recognize basic newsline journalists. And that's a problem. And it's a problem because they're taking this, whatever side of the aisle this person is on, and this is their bent. This is where they're getting their news. This is what they accept as fact, regardless of if it is tainted with opinion or wherever you stand on the political side of the spectrum. When you have individuals who are very close to administrations, which this has happened across administrations, this isn't new to Trump, there is automatically an affinity towards that group or towards that person in office in their administration. It makes it very difficult to be the objective person who goes on any one show, whether you do it on MSNBC, Fox, CNN, you're going to tout the message of that administration. That is expected of people who are friends of anyone. You're not going to stand against them. It's going to be a very hard um, line to toe when you're getting questions that you feel are going to make that person look in a negative light. And we're seeing that with a lot of um, the folks who are going on and speaking about Trump in multiple contexts. I have to disagree on the Sean Hannity and Janine Pirro front because I think both of them are very clear about the perspective they come from. There are very few TV hosts who unabashedly support President Trump. And they do not always, they, they have pushed back on certain of his poli my, my policies. My only point about Janine was the fact that Trump was advocating for her to come back on the air by Fox executives. He's also pushed He felt he was a part of the office. reason that she was pushed off. But, that is a but, problem but, in and of itself, too, by the way. But beyond that, what is the problem if two TV commentary hosts out of all of our commentary and news hosts like President Trump? I, I don't see an issue there. There's, you know what? I, and I think you're right. But since I've been in those shoes, what the media does, particularly the mainstream media, when you find yourself find yourselves in a, com in a controversy, they don't ri remind the audience or the viewer or the reader that your commentary and those are your opinions, they make you out to be a journalist. They refer to you as a journalist in their reporting, mm -hmm. which furthers malign and erodes your credibility. I think there's an important and, and, point, and, though, that Anisha was bringing up earlier about where ideas come from, right? We're all born into a set of traditions, a set of concepts that come from our family. And in a sense, we start from a point of what I call medievalism of the mind, right? A closed view on our kind of place in the world. And frankly, you know, you asked the earlier question of like who decides whether it's commentary or journalism. Frankly, it's the management, because at the end of the day, media uh, institutions are selling information. They're not promoting ideas, right? And so one of the ways I can tell when that is happening, and you see it a lot, is persecution anxiety. You can tell when a media outlet is trying to appeal to a particular demographic that they targeted for sale, targeted for sale of information when they start doing an us or them narrative. It's very easy to say, they don't understand this. This is our view. Versus to take a different view to try to 
speak provocatively and to ask of your audience to listen provocatively. That's a much more challenging uh, perspective. Management might, might not like it because you're going to lose viewers sometimes that way. Right? And this is the kind of dilemma of modern media as I see it. I want to come back to your point. I just want to make sure you were making your point about Janine and Sean. Because I wanted to make clear that mine was not a criticism of Janine. It's just that I just think there's some things the president should just not say. If he feels that way, just privately call management. Don't tweet it out or go on national TV because he has those relationships. But this is the great thing about President Trump. He is transparent. And if he has relationships with the media, oh, it's happening out in the open yes, rather than true. behind closed doors, as you were saying, yes. happen across the board in other administrations. At least when you are now watching Sean Hannity, you know that the president has a relationship with him and you can use your own judgment. I think we are protecting the audience too much in many ways um, and, and not enabling them to take responsibility for their choices, their decisions of who they want to watch and how they want to get their information. They are a part of why the media is so divided. Uh, the media wouldn't be succeeding right now uh, if people weren't tuning into these divisive things. And I think someone like, I have to say someone like uh, Anderson Cooper, I would say is far more problematic between uh, splitting the divide between commentary and news because he's somebody who, as far as I know, is supposed to be news but does commentary on a regular basis. But Anderson Cooper hasn't been out on the campaign trail touting a president either during his campaign rallies, which but you, Sean Hannity But you as done. a viewer know that Sean Hannity is doing that. You know he has a relationship with President Trump. Which and diminishes you can, his credibility for me as a viewer. And I think a lot of viewers. But, but certain... A certain percent of the American population wants their views to be represented. And there are so few TV hosts who represent Trump's perspective. And I don't see why it's a problem to have one or two doing that. No, it's not the representation of his perspective. No, that is absolutely fine. It is when you are out and you are touting his goals and you are someone who is not speaking truth to power to say when something does go wrong in his administration, when there are things that have been investigated by and large by journalists as well as other commentators who are commenting on this, conservatives as well, that you decide that you're going to take a stance that is pro the administration and not even offer commentary or offer um, the actual facts of what's going on. I think that's the problem because we're seeing steady streams of information come out of this administration that are uh, by and large not pleasing to the American population. And you are watching Sean Hannity go on and either not mention them at all, even though literally every other news network is publishing and talking yeah. about them, or we're seeing him only give glowing highlights of it, his best friend, the president. It would be helpful to hear a real example because I think a lot of conservatives feel that we just had a Russian-Trump collusion investigation for two years that was peddled in the majority of the mainstream media. Um, how is that any different from what you're describing But, but, but right I want to interject here. This is the Armstrong Williams Show, and we'll be back. Don't go away. <laughs> Welcome back to the Armstrong Williams Show. I do find, and I'm glad you're bringing the focus really on the media. How does the media um, uplift someone like a Mueller, give Bob Barr the benefit of the doubt, and all of a sudden, when Mueller releases a report, said there's no evidence of collusion with the Russians. That was clear. All of a sudden, they start tearing down Mueller, questioning his credibility, whether or not he was in communication with Trump. And then all of a sudden, Barr goes before the committee and insinuates something about spying. And all of a sudden, you see all these pieces on Bob Barr's controversies over the years and over the decades. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't it obvious to you that the media is saying to the people, no matter what you say about this guy, about Donald Trump, we found him guilty, he will remain guilty, and we will continue this barrage against him until he's removed from office. You just cannot ignore that. The, in, in fact, 
the media is saying, the power of the media, let's ignore the Mueller report. Let's ignore the attorney general. We know better than the attorney general. We have better insights into this. We know the sources. We are the final arbiter of this. And let's ignore, and let's go to the House committee where we feel we have the best shot of removing this guy from office. Is, is that the media's role? Because literally, they are not satisfied with any outcome unless it's an outcome to impeach or removing this man from office. There's no other conclusion you can come to, Jonathan. Uh, no, look, I mean, I think that the media's coverage of the Russia probe was problematic pretty much from the start. I mean, you basically saw uh, a switch flip in people, journalists, tracking every, every conversation, every meeting a Trump official had with a, with a foreign agent, with, uh, with a representative from Moscow, and casting it and darkly intoning that it was something to do with collusion. And then we saw this go on for two years, and we saw numerous sort of really embarrassing uh, retractions or uh, uh, stories that ran that turned out to be completely false. Uh, and, uh, and, and I feel like, I think the media was, like you said, a little bit more sympathetic toward Adam Schiff's worldview uh, and, uh, and really just ran with these stories. And it, it really painted a picture. Uh, I think it set expectations to be that Trump was going to, or his, the people closest to him, were going to be found guilty of uh, criminal collusion. And then when that didn't pan out, uh, you, you saw some of the, you know, you saw you saw the the goalpost shift uh, on this, and I think it's I think it's problematic, and I think it's embarrassing, honestly. And and uh, we saw some people even on the left sort of raising the alarm about it and comparing it to the coverage leading up to uh, the Iraq War and weapons of mass destruction. And I like an '80s in, movie. I mean, yeah, it, frankly, yeah. I, I mean, I think there were some legitimate issues that needed to be explored in the the special counsel, but the way it played out in the media. I mean, it seemed like they were, you know, I was waiting for Arnold Schwarzenegger to show up with a big gun and shoot, you know, and like you know, Russians wearing like white parkas and such, you know. It was an easy story that frankly sells, right? I mean, I think what's getting lost in I, I think it's more than selling to them. I really think that they are just not satisfied unless Trump's removed from office. They've decided that Trump is unworthy to be president of the United States. What, what other conclusion can you come to? And now on top of this, they're so suddenly uncurious about another investigation into why this whole investigation started got started. They don't have no interest. It's, it is really, <laughs> I, I must admit. And, and, and they actually don't think that most Americans cannot see through this, what they're actually doing. And you're right. They have no interest. And in why? Because it indicts them and their sources. I don't think the media is just involved in trying to manipulate the story. I think the media is involved behind the scenes with the players. You do certain things where the story is going to be portrayed this way. You need to come out. You need to support them. I just think they're only, I think that's the collusion. I don't think the media has clean hands in this. I'm sorry. They are driving this narrative. And I think, in a way, they are saying to the other side, even the House Investigative Committee will give you cover. And they know we're, we're your biggest PR firm. That we're, you've got the biggest PR firm in America, the mainstream media, and we're going to always spin it your way. And that's a problem. And then they complain about people like Sean Hannity. It's just like, give, give me a break. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, you have one network and then a couple show hosts who are out there advocating on the president's behalf. I, I, I think it's um, not problematic. And I think the media is really going to have a 
tough time recovering from this. Um, and it's not just the media. Actually, it goes back to institutions like the FBI um, who have lost credibility. And, and now the media is you know, on a mission to uh, degrade the credibility of the Justice Department and, and, and so forth. These institutions that play a very important role. Look, we have a system of checks and balances in this country. Um, I, I was fine that this, this collusion um, was looked into if it had proper grounds. It was looked into. This is a good thing. It shows our country is working that we have checks and balances. Um, we eventually need to move on, and the media needs to do better. Amisha? No, absolutely. I, I actually agree with you on that. The investigation needed to happen. What didn't need to happen was the wild goose chase that the media went on continually throughout the process. Americans lost interest in this a while ago. Um, in addition to that, after, the, after Mueller actually talked about what he found in his investigation, then it was, okay, well, we've pressed on this for a very long time. Now we've got to find something else. And I think that it not only diminished the credibility of the media, but it also um, really hurt, and we're seeing this now because a lot of the Democrats on the campaign trail are absolutely not talking about this at all. Um, same folks who were pushing for the investigation originally, I have not brought it up one bit since that day. It's become something that, I, I agree, there is a push now to whatever we can find this president on or whatever he can find his linkages on, be it relatives, be it people who are part of his corporation, um, we're going to go with that. And I think that this is greatly hurting America because we have so many other issues we should be talking about. Well, I, I think, uh, unfortunately, that the media stakes so much of their credibility on the fact that Trump did not have a snowball chance in purgatory or winning the White House. And everybody went to bed believing that when they would awake in the next morning, that Hillary Clinton would be the first woman president. And I think they saw their second round with this investigation. They had another chance to undermine and take this president out. And that's not working for them. And I do think, and maybe you can challenge me on this, this barrage will continue because it's like a trifecta. The first two failed. The only thing they have left is to make sure that Donald Trump is not reelected in 2020 because God knows what happens to the media if Donald Trump, after all the things that they've said about him and all the things that he's been accused of, actually wins the White House. I guess what I find confusing about all this is I thought on my calendar this morning it said 2019, and it seems like we're talking like it's 1965. All this discussion about credibility, I mean, since Clinton and then W and then Obama and now Trump, it's been the same playbook, right? When your guy is out of the office, all your media outlets and in collaboration with the congressional uh, representatives that are showcased on that media outlet, go any attack route they can. And it's been back and forth for four administrations at least, definitely since 24-hour news cycle has come in. I guess this question of credibility seems quite antiquated to me. But there's enough there there to actually challenge him on policy. The issue of him tweeting random things at night, it may be funny, it may get media ire, but it's not something we should be genuinely focused on. We should be focused on his policies, what he's been doing since he's been in office. And I don't mean, you know, any instigation of relations that he might have had with Russia. At this point, our conversation should be on what is better, what is best for America. We're looking at healthcare, we're looking at jobs, we're looking at um, what's happening with our immigration policy. These are things we should be focused on. I, I want to say this, because I think this is, to me, of all the things that have happened over the few years, to me, this is the, the worst indictment of the media. And trying to find a presidential candidate to challenge Donald Trump. CNN and MSNBC gave this guy, Michael Avenatti, a platform that they created. They created this guy. They created him from scratch. No one knew who he was. Every lawsuit for Stormy Daniels that he represented her on, she lost. 
But then to find out it's alleged that he's stealing money from a paraplegic. He's stealing money out of settlements. He hasn't paid taxes in almost 10 years. Are you kidding me that the media had no idea about this guy's background? How could, it's been going on for 10 years. How could they put someone forward, forward with this kind, these kind of issues and the alleged ripping people off and not think that the truth would come to light? I did it, they did not care. Is it that they were so blinded by the hatred of this president that they did not vet this guy? To me, this story of Abinadi is, to me, is the tragedy of the media and what they've become. I absolutely agree. He, he's facing upwards of 300 years in jail time. What he did... 37 indictment. Right. What, what he did is, is, you know, taking advantage of disabled Americans and stealing millions of dollars from them is unspeakable. And, and the fact that CNN, one of our largest news organizations in the country, not the world, we have CNN International too, could not look into this, I think is a di disgrace. And I think it ultimately is, it's embarrassing. Um, how do they put this guy on TV for a year? It, it shows that they put the agenda first before the facts, which is ironic coming from the news organization that, you know, created the tagline and apples and apple. Jonathan, how could they not know? Well, look, I, you know, I think we need to separate the, you know, cable news from the media writ large. I mean, obviously... Well, he was on CBS. A, he was on the day. He was on the networks, too. I mean, come on. NBC? He, NBC? Okay, come on. Obviously, a, a grifter who, who saw an opening and, and took it, and maybe the media was... Uh, complicit. Maybe? Oh, fine, the media is complicit in that. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, you know, he was representing Stormy Daniels, who is a sort of a persistent legal problem now for the president. So there was, a, there was news value to him uh, initially. We're talking about his character, his credibility, uh, yeah, right, the fact right, that right. he was not vetted. And many people believed in him. This guy was thinking about announcing for president. No, that's fine. And, and I think that those dreams are dashed at, at this point. You know, there, there was some good reporting, I think, in the LA Times initially about his background that sort of, uh, I think, set the stage for some of these, these charges that he's facing now. Um, but, uh, but, but like I said, back to Stormy Daniels, I mean, the president is being investigated in the Southern District of New York for these hush money payments and whether they're a violation of uh, campaign finance laws. I, you know, people have an opinion legally as to whether that's legitimate or not, but uh, at the time he was representing uh, I mean, let's let's be honest here. This, let's say let's not use let's not use the word let's not use the word representing Stormy Daniels. Let's use the word he was exploiting Stormy Daniels. She had the harshest yeah. things to say about him. Michael Avenatti was pawn scum from the beginning. They think that any news organization that did not because a lot of his um, issues were public. And there were some who came along who actually published these along the way, but no one paid attention. I think that there was a lot of attention paid to and a lot of credibility paid to what Stormy Daniels was saying. It was sexy, salacious, got people's attention to the fact that folks were not listening to all of the warning signs about Avenatti from day one. He should have never gotten to be a front stage anything not to announce that he was thinking about running for president, not to join in on R. Kelly um, and his um, legal ambitions as well. It got really rough. And I think that no one should be surprised by this, by all the new evidence and all the information that's come out about Avenatti. What we should be angered with ourselves about is following him for as long as we did. How does the media, as we close out the strong cast, I'm Armstrong Williams, this is Armstrong Williams. I'm gonna take a break and come back, don't go away. Welcome back to the show. How is it possible that we get beyond these kinds of conversations and these issues with our fourth estate. 
how do they restore their credibility? Is it possible? Is it just going to get worse? Is it going to continue? I think as long, I mean, Trump has been a godsend to the news media industry, right? I mean, and the heads of these media outlets have a fiduciary responsibility to make money. And insofar as the current track that they're on is making money, the majority of them are going to pursue that full stop. They're selling information. They're selling, they're doing a combination as they should. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, uh, you know, fault a dog for chasing cats. You know, it's like if, they're, if it sells, their job is to figure out what is going to sell and to maybe predict where the next thing's going. Now you can flip that around and say, are they leading society's views or are they following them? And I think it's really hard to tell, but so long as the money's there, they're going to keep chasing it. It's absolutely right. And so I think the how change happens is consumers start sending their dollars to, to different avenues. And you mentioned Ben Shapiro before. And we see sort of this... Uh, this, this new phenomenon of people seeking out uh, information from other outlets. You've got the, and Ben Shapiro's, I guess, uh, part of this, what I think the Times called the intellectual dark web, and you have people going to find Which is an insane <laughs> description <laughs> of, of his website, The Daily Wire, but. Right, right, but people <laughs> downloading, I mean, tens of millions of people downloading his podcast or uh, Jordan Peterson and some of these other folks who not necessarily taken seriously by the mainstream media and people are seeking them out anyway. And so I think that's how we see change in this is consumers changing their habits. I'd probably also say increasing the number of media watchdog groups on, on both sides of the aisle, just because we know that there is a lot of misinformation out there. And it's one thing to say it from somebody's blog or somebody's newfound group that is being promoted on social media. It's another thing when people are going to what they consider hardline news. They're going to Fox, they're going to CNN, and the information that they're hearing isn't necessarily true or it's leading. And I think that those watchdog groups um, in earnest are supposed to be there to help to push out the truth and show people what's really going on behind the veil. Media Matters is one of the most hostile watchdog groups toward... Oh, any group, not just a watchdog group, one of the most hostile groups towards conservatives. Um, so I, I guess I don't a have... A lot of the reporting has been factual. I don't have a lot of hope that uh, that watchdogs are the solution well, to this. Well, does a good job, media research. Yes, and, right. and it is good. There are some on right. both sides. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think if we have a Democrat president in the future, the media is going to be very different. Um, certainly their revenues will go way down. I'll be curious to see how they recover from this with um, you know, all the investigations and so forth that they've been doing. Will they continue that when there's a Democrat in office? I, I don't think so, but I think it will make the hypocrisy very obvious and hard to deny. Um, so I think this is going to be a continual problem. I will say that, um, like the Ben Shapiro podcast, the success of that and the success of, you know, at the Heritage Foundation, we have a bunch of podcasts, your podcast, people are seeking out quality information. Certainly, a lot of it does come from the perspective that they come from. Um, but people are starting to see through cable news. Um, they they are seeking out more quality and uh, with more options, more for more option with more options for audiences. It's, I'm encouraged that I see them consistently upping the quality of the type of information they're choosing to seek out. John, Kelsey, Amisha, Jonathan, Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Strongcast. A lot to, a lot to chew on here, a lot to consider, because ultimately, in our court, you are the judge and the referee. I'm Armstrong Williams. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Strongcast and Armstrong Williams Show. Thank you.